Hard to believe, but we are in the final regular season week of Pac-12 football. I'm Yogi Roth, joined by Ted Robinson. It's Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure, of course, produced by a man who's at practice right now, but we'll edit this thing later tonight. Britton Covey coming off one of his better games in a while. It's pretty fun to watch him do his he thing. He deserves off. a round of applause. That was that would I mean, look, if we if Molinari was here and we had a humanity moment, that would be it. I mean, for Britain, not just a touchdown reception, but to run that punt back and look like he was a young dude doing it. <laughs> it was funny. We were in the Pac-12 Network's offices late Saturday night, and I saw Ashley Adamson, and she goes, hey, tell Ted, we already found your humanity moment of the week. So she was <laughs> on this as well, Britton Covey. Uh, so with that said, uh, you know, the drama of the world, um, it's, it's real, right? COVID-19 is ramping. And the drama in Pac-12 football is real and ever-changing. It is December 9th at 1.20 in the afternoon. So by the time you listen to this and download it, a lot may have changed. Just to kind of give some highline stuff, Ted, before we dive into this week's games. Uh, now, uh, Washington has paused team activities. I was told that they paused them for today, the 9th of December, meaning they're going to evaluate it tomorrow and obviously make a decision on what's going to happen with their game against Oregon. As of now, that game will send the winner to the Pac-12 championship. In other news, a team that is undefeated and now finally ranked in the CFP, number 21, Colorado, their game was supposed to be Friday evening. Uh, that's a 9 a.m. That's the big noon kickoff on Fox against Utah in Boulder, Joe Clad on the call. Uh, the it, It's going to be fun. So that uh, those are some of the big changes that we're seeing right now in the conference where, where we are just today, man. Yeah, it's, it's great, Yogi. Uh, uh, let me just try to uh, get some lists together here. So the great news for the Utah-Colorado game, which is something that when this idea first came up in 2019, it was John Wilner, the writer, who came up with the idea. The first thing I told him, Utah and Colorado. He said, why? And I said, it's 10-10 or 10-15 by the time they kick the ball off. It's, a, it's much more palatable. So that'll be the kick in Boulder. It'll be 10 whatever time Fox decides, 10 past at least 10 in the morning. Um, it's great exposure for Colorado's program, hopefully for Utah's program, and uh, and for the pack. Uh, this past weekend, Yogi, I was simply thrilled that all six games were played. It's the first time it happened. Every team played. It was a close call. It's been well-known. Washington State has had a big COVID problem. Uh, both of their basketball programs have shut down, men's and women's. Uh, football survived, and I think that might be the best way to say it. They were able to have enough players to play at USC, but the outcome was no surprise. Uh, you saw how you know, just unsettled their program has been because of, because of COVID. And now we have the Washington situation that you touched on. And I think, Yogi, we have to just, you know, let's get the elephant in the room out of the way up front. Uh, everything has to be on the table this year. We've said this for months. Everything has to be on the table, including the, to me, this is just Ted talking here, including the Pac-12 football championship game. And I, I just don't understand how it's any more complicated than if you have two undefeated teams at the end of play this coming weekend, USC and Colorado, just the essence of sport, the best play for a championship, period. It isn't, to me, it's not any more complicated than that. I'm sure a lot of folks will differ with me on that. But to me, that's the issue. And we've seen it happen in the ACC, We've seen it happen now in the Big Ten. They've changed their rules because of Ohio State losing the Michigan game this week. Um, I, I, and I have no problem with that because this year is just crazy. Um, I would hate to have that scenario come up where an undefeated team doesn't play in the Pac-12 championship game. 
Yeah. So just to kind of take everybody through where the league office is today, based on the rules agreed upon prior to the season. Um, one is that if there's only three games this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and or Sunday, then this automatically goes to one through 12 for the title game. So that's the, that's the number of games. So we don't want to see games get canceled, uh, but clearly UW Oregon, maybe one would Oregon get another opponent, Would they get another game. They're not going to play a team twice. Right. So who would they play? Uh, would they want to go get a non-conference game? I, I don't know uh, if that, if they don't play, if UW doesn't play Washington based on the rules today, still goes to the title game based on record as the North representative. And that to me is where this thing will get really interesting. Uh, Cause if UW can't go, then I believe that, uh, the conference office and uh, the respective 12 institutions have the ability to change the rules, right? I, no, you just said like the rules can be changed at any time. And I, and I co-signed on all that, but based on just kind of the letter of the law right now, that if UW can't go, right, this game isn't played, they're out for two weeks and Colorado wins and USC wins, I'd anticipate some sort of change in that regard. That's just me speaking, uh, but I'm with you. It is such a, it is such a weird year. Um, I, I know that the reason, or I believe that the reason that the games didn't get changed for this week or the rules aren't changed currently is because the idea is let's just play the games right now. Let's see what happens this week. So I think Sunday or late Saturday night into Sunday is going to be a really critical time for decisions to be made in the conference. And I get why decisions did not get changed or altered this week because Utah is really good. And it's not like it's a lock that Colorado is going to yeah. win the game as well, well as UW or UCLA is pretty good too right now. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. So uh, just to kind of set a little context, I think for everybody who's frustrated, I, I felt that as well. Um, let's just wait till the games are played and, and then have the dialogue. Cause I, I, I think that's, that's the best we can do is hope, as you said, we get to six games again. And then if we can, then we'll see kind of where this thing nets out. And if we can't, then I would anticipate uh, potential changes. Well, just, and just the framework that I touched on, you know, I, for, I think people probably do know, but just in case the ACC this year went to one big, I think 14, I think they had 14 teams, whatever they, they scrapped their divisions for this year. And then they altered their schedule for this Saturday so that Clemson and Notre Dame already are automatically into the championship game and neither school's playing this week. They were supposed to play and they just changed the schedule last week so that they both have a bye week, which of course is designed to make sure they get two teams in the playoff. The SEC doesn't like that. The Big Ten has changed the rule that you referenced. This, this is the point right now. There is really, you know, if there's a, quote, Bible of rules and protocols, out. This year, yeah. it's out. And I'll just go back and say it again. The players deserve what's right. The players who put themselves out this year with all of the COVID risk and protocol, the players. And so if the Colorado players win, if they win and they're undefeated and don't get to play in the championship game, you can't tell me that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, I'm with you there. So speaking of what's right, what's not right. Um, I, I, we haven't talked a lot about this because it's kind of been a, a non-starter, but I think heading into this week, it's worth bringing up the playoff, uh, the CFP USC jumps to 15th, right? Reference already Colorado is 21st. No other Pac-12 teams are ranked. There's a lot of teams with multiple losses, two losses, three losses ahead of some of our respective teams. What, what do you think about the playoff rankings as they are now? And where do you kind of project them going? Because I've got a strong take on this. And I'm curious what you think. Okay. Uh, well, your take's going to be a lot stronger than mine because, you know, I haven't paid a ton of attention to it. I, I think it's fairly certain that 
both Clemson and Notre Dame are going to make it. And I think it's all given Alabama is going to make it, even if Alabama stumbled. I'm not sure who they are they going to play in their championship game. I'm not even sure. Play Florida. Florida. Oh, it's Florida. Florida. Yeah. So even if they stumble Alabama, the way Alabama has won this year, come on, it, the way the SEC uh, a presence plus Alabama's play, they'll be in. So you're really talking about one spot. And, and that's why the Big Ten, I'm certain, that's why the Big Ten changed his rule today because they want Ohio State to get that spot. And if, if the charge, as you've said, Yogi, is to pick the four best teams, which is thoroughly subjective, thoroughly eye test, there is no objective measure to anything I've ever sensed about the CFP, Ohio State's going to be one of the four best teams. Yeah, so my, my take is as following. Like, and I've got my trusty, because uh, we're on Zoom, you could see it, my uh, rule book of sorts with the mock uh, playoff selection committee. I've done it. I, I can't wait till you do it in a non-COVID year because it is awesome to sit in that room in Texas and pretend like you're on the committee, you pretend you're Rob Mullins or Ronnie Lott or Rick George, or you sit in the chair and you go through it. And within it, they always say their job, as you referenced, is to take the four best teams. There's also a lot of dialogue around, like, is it four best versus body of work? And for me this year, it's really challenging to have the dialogue around body of work, which has been referenced multiple times uh, or talking about certain teams. In addition to that, and, I, and I'm a fan of body work. I believe in body work versus just four best. Because if it's four best, then if Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State all lose in their respective final game of the season, they're still the four best teams in the country, right? And that's my issue. I think that those teams, but we could put the playoff up now and just, you got to figure out the seating. I think those teams are in no matter what. And the issue I have with it, and it's kind of an issue that I struggle with with Colorado if they went out, is that in the history of sport, what you learned on the streets of New York City, what I learned in the country of Pennsylvania is the same thing everybody's learned around the world, that if you lose your final game, like you don't advance. And I got a major problem with that. This is not like the three-on-three double elimination basketball tournament we played in the summer growing up. And, and I just really... I have an issue with that because to me that flies in the face of competition. And I think that's exactly what the playoff has done. Like Bama, I'm with you. They're, they're awesome. Sark is crushing it. Notre Dame playing at the best level they've played in a long time. Ohio state in a couple games, they've looked good. They, to me, they haven't looked like world beaters, but they still have tremendous talent. And I'd say the same thing for Clemson, but if they lose because Notre Dame is going to play Clemson, and Bama's going to play Florida. If they lose, why are they still in? And I have a major, I just have a major problem with that, let alone have a problem that Oklahoma, Miami, UGA, uh, Northwestern, Coastal Carolina, Indiana are ranked ahead of SC. I, I just do have a problem with that because they haven't blown me away and they've got a loss. So that's kind of where I, where I net out. I, I try to get off my soapbox, but I, I get rolling in this topic. My friend Yogi, the football player slash coach, slash savant now sounds like a basketball coach because i can tell you i've heard this for 25 years from basketball coaches because in college basketball virtually every coach in america loses the last game of the season right and if you know I mean, there are some exceptions obviously but if you make the madness 60 what's it, 67 now or 68 whatever the number is everybody but one loses the last game they play and then the basketball coaches in their private moments will say, yeah, and then my football coach goes seven and five and wins the Weed Whacker Bowl. And they put a picture of him and the media guy holding up some trophy and he acts like a hero. And I lost my last game and I get crushed. No, I mean, that's, you know, that's understandable emotion. But that's what just, you just sounded just like that, Yogi. And I, I'm, so I laugh uh, because I and look, the whole system to me, um, 
it just it's it's designed it's 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 a 100 money play uh i think everybody should just stand up and own that i think it's pretty visible uh, and the the restriction to four is the is to me the proof of that this thing should go to eight and it should include all five comp major conferences plus you know the the this year would be the BYU slash Coastal Carolina slash Cincinnati, whoever else slash, you know, reps that would have a shot to be in it. That's what makes Mark Madden is great. That's what makes, wouldn't it be great that Coastal Carolina play Clemson in the first round of an 18 play? I mean, you don't think that would draw, draw a blockbuster rating on TV? It would be like when, when Coach Pete had Boise going yeah. and Boise was getting into big bowl games against top teams. It were great draws. That's what Coastal would be this year. But until, you know, the big boys are willing to share a little bit more, uh, it isn't going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's diluting the game a little bit, but uh, we, I digress. Let's get to our games. Uh, yeah. We've called this one before. Uh, it is uh, rivalry week in the Pac-12 South this week. So on Friday, uh, we had two Friday games. We have one now at four o'clock Pacific territorial cup, both teams, seeking that first win. What do you think when you hear Kevin Sumlin and Herm Edwards both need to find their first win of the 2020 season? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I would be, Arizona state to me would be a decided favorite in this game. I mean, Arizona state's only played twice, but they sit, are sitting there thinking they should have won both games. They let them, they let them kind of go. Uh, they got hurt at the end of the game. It was a desperation drive, of course, at the end, but they got hurt by a very questionable looking penalty call. Uh, against UCLA, uh, but I would suspect. I mean, I, I just I feel for Arizona because you know they're just playing. It's a COVID year, you know. Without Grant Cannell, I don't know what Grant Cannell's status will be for this game. Uh, and then without a bunch of players on defense that have either left or opted out, it's it's rough. So I I would be uh, I would be surprised. It would be a pleasant surprise from the Arizona side if they could pull this one off and get a win. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'd go ASU in this game. Uh, I want to talk about Arizona for a second, though, and Kevin Sumlin, because I do think, and I spent a decent amount of time with him in the offseason, whether interviewing him on the Pac-12 podcast or the networks, what he's done, I think, with this team, granted, they haven't won, and people aren't happy about that in Tucson. I'm a believer in, in him. I mean, you look at the new staff he's brought on on the defensive side with Paul Rhodes. The amount of losses they had in the portal, they got hit worse than anybody. And, and I don't blame a lot of those guys for leaving because they didn't think they'd have a season, right? So you're talking about the two linebackers, their safety, um, and they've also been hurt by injuries a little bit on the on the offensive front. And their quarterback, of course, being out the last two games, and you know he played one snap two weeks ago. We'll see what happens this week, as you referenced. I, I, I hope he's still the coach next year. I really do. And I might be in a minority, but I believe in what he's done around galvanizing and teaching these guys how to deal with COVID. Uh, how to, you know, They've done a nice job how to deal with social justice and what it's like to be a black coach in college football. Uh, I've just been really impressed with him in a lot of regards regarding developing young men. So I, uh, I just wanted to say that because I know there's a lot of chatter around him, just like there was last year before this game. And I don't, I, again, I don't see them winning this ball game, but I think they got the tools on the program next year to come back and, and have the ability to get to a ball game. If it is a full schedule. Yeah, Yogan, what I would tell you is I, I hope you know, this is that time of year where COVID has changed the dynamic. I usually hate talking about it. Just can't stand coaches losing jobs, people getting fired. It's just, it's become a parlor game. Um, you know, obviously there's two things. I've lived through this a lot in my time in the NFL as well. There needs to be hope. 
I, I always thought that was the, defi the defining feature of deciding, am I going to make a change in leadership? Do I have hope? Do I have the hope and is a realistic hope that the present staff, the present situation can turn this thing the right way? And then the second thing on top of COVID, which is relevant in this case, Arizona is a school that derives a large percentage of their athletic revenue from basketball. Probably the, probably the biggest, I, I've got to believe it's by far the biggest chunk in the Pac-12 of the schools that comes from basketball. And so therefore they're going to take the biggest hit with no fans in McHale Center this year. So that you would have to think is going to play very heavily into Arizona's athletic planning going forward. Yeah, that's well said. Great context. Um, and then last note on the game for ASU, I'm most intrigued in the next coming weeks and what guys decide to do. If they decide to leave. I'm talking about uh, Butler, Robertson. You already saw Ashari Croswell opt out, and he's going to prepare for the NFL. Jack Jones has been indefinitely suspended from the team. Uh, every, you know, everybody gets a year back because this team could be real dangerous next year, and I think they're going to be. So I, I look forward to seeing what, hap what happens with them. I'm getting ready for signing day. They got a nice class. I think they're going to work the portal well. Uh, and I think they get a win here, and I think their record among all the teams in the conference will not reflect the program that they had in the 2020 season. Uh, okay, so let's get to the uh, morning game. You, now Utah, Colorado, the following one, wake it up early, get rolling. Uh, I, I love this game on a bunch of levels. Uh, the one thing I don't love is that I don't know if Colorado's going to be a full strength in their offensive line. Of course, Chance Lytle saw that, that our guy. Ah, uh, oh, man, that was terrible. Felt so bad. Yeah, terrible. Kerry Cooch, uh, we'll find out um, if he's going to play in the game, right? He was the starting left guard, then moved to starting center. Now we'll find out his availability. We assume Colby Purcell. I, I believe he's going to be back in this game. I, I bring that up because not only Colorado is an impressive run offense, Jerick Broussard, leading candidate for Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, uh, might be a lock for Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year because Demetri Felton didn't do a lot last weekend. I'm worried against this defensive line because Utah, that, that's where they have grown and had to replace players. But I think you're going to get the best version of Utah in this game, Ted. I'm curious what you think about this matchup and what you're excited about. Yeah, I mean, you, your point about the Colorado offensive line injuries is is there. On the other hand, they ran for 400-plus yards. I mean, it was insane what they did against, against Arizona. Now, obviously, Utah's defense figures to be stouter and going to be very hard to do that. Uh, but Colorado, boy, I mean, I tell you, they just – I think you know how they're going to play is basically what I'm saying. And Utah's been pretty – from everything I see and, and then – divine checking in in salt lake city they've been pretty happy with the way the dbs they lost that whole db class the new class has come in clark phillips has made the impact they expected so the DB's pretty good so you think for colorado the game plan is going to be run downhill and you know as we've seen with sam noyer throw it when we want to throw it not when we need to throw it <laughs> yeah hey, and speaking of throwing it jake bentley is going to be the key to this game i mean ty jordan has been a really nice job because when we, we called the, the lone game we had was Colorado and we couldn't tell you necessarily what defense they play scheme wise, other than they're going to bring a lot of pressure and they're going to bring a lot of pressure all game on Jake Bentley. So to me, it's him, Britton Covey, uh, the litany of receivers they have pass protection. If Utah doesn't turn it over like they didn't from their quarterback last game, they'll have a chance to have a great upset. And I know Utah fans will dig this because a lot of them listen to this podcast how many times over the years, other than the last two years, did Utah have a chance to win the South 
late in the season and some the Oregon game happens like something has happened they get to be that team and I'm sure they're talking about yeah. that to a certain degree that's a great okay. call that's right they they're the spoiler rather than the spoilee yeah you're right and I think they've got a lot of juice they're they're the team to me that truly probably believes like you know what I know this year's a wash but man we're preparing for next year they're getting they're getting all that inexperience out and they'll come back with that young defense you referenced an offensive line that's impressive, a young running back. Look for them uh, next year and, and obviously this weekend. Uh, big stage, big opportunity for, for both programs. Uh, and for Carl Durrell, man, um, he's probably coach of the year, regardless of the outcome in this one. Yeah. Okay, uh, we don't know if it's going to happen at the time we record, but UW Oregon, one of the best rivalries in the sport. Uh, it's going to be in Eugene, obviously no fans, but no love lost between these two teams, Ted. And Oregon's kind of reeling. I think it's fair to say that because they haven't been able to dictate terms up front on the offensive line or, you know, stop the run game like they expect to stop the run game. Do you think that they put an end to that trend? And UW, you know, they need to stop the trend of getting down by 21 points at halftime. Do you think they put an end to that trend? And what do you think will happen in this one? Well, that, I mean, I think you said Oregon really, well, Washington shockingly is, is really a little bit after being stunned by Stanford with all the disruption Stanford football has gone through. And again, pretty clear Stanford beat Washington physically, which here I was talking about Washington being the most physical team I thought I had seen and Stanford out physical them. And the number that I saw this week that really jars is that UW's given up 4.8 yards per rush, 4.8. And so we know Jimmy Lake well enough and Pete Kwiatkowski who've been there a long time and part of very good defenses to know they can't be happy with that. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I think we'll maybe see a little bit with uh, Stanford this week as well. Is it Was that how good Stanford's offensive line has played? Or was it a lapse by Washington's defense? Uh, Zion Tupelola Fatui, who we probably, I probably haven't talked about him enough because he had been significant in the first three games, was not a factor in this game for Washington. They're going to need him in theory against Oregon. And then you set it up perfectly. The same thing for Oregon that with all of the, you know, the, the, op, the offensive uh, uh, innovation and, and diverge diversity variety that Joe Moorhead has brought uh, here's Oregon, you know, probably feeling disappointed at where they are going into this last game. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm with you on all those fronts. I think this game based on today and the pause in the action is a huge advantage for Oregon especially on offense because of the creativity you referenced now, UW is as talented and you know, the, their functional football intelligence is awesome in terms of understanding combinations and routes and what's going to happen, but they're going to really, the linebackers are going to get really tested because of the zone read game, how they use Tyler Shuck and his legs, what they do with their tight ends. I think because of the lack of preparation, you know, we'll see what happens tomorrow on a Thursday if they can practice, but if they can't and they still play the game, which is very possible, right? Remember SC had this situation against Colorado. They came out of practice Thanksgiving uh, thinking, Hey, we, we might play. And then they were like, eh, we don't, one guy tested positive. They didn't have the numbers. So there's still a world where you should be optimistic about the game happening. If it does though, I think because of this, it's going to be a big advantage for the ducks and we'll see if they can, they can handle that at home. And, and I think it's a pride game too. Right. These are the two teams that have represented the North the last couple of years. Can they can they keep that going? We'll we'll find out, obviously. 
another pride game, Ted, is the Crosstown rivalry. You're in L.A. now. Um, I've never called this game. God, I want to. SC, UCLA. It's going to be fun. Chip, I was, I was frankly uh, disappointed that they weren't ranked in the top 25 whether the AP or the CFP. I think, again, if you go on what the eyes tell you, which is every time we hear uh, Gary Barta say, it's the eye test, the eye test. I think UCLA's passed the eye test the last couple of weeks ahead of some of these yeah. other teams in the top 25, which I don't want to take uh, a bunch of shots at Tulsa and Louisiana, um, BYU, uh, but I will. I think UCLA's look better than them, and I watched those teams play for whatever that's worth. So what, what do you think about this game? Clearly a ton at stake for, for, for both of these programs. Well, Yogi, I mean, I think it's a, uh, well, let's put it this way. It's a great opportunity for UCLA. I mean, if Chip Kelly could pull this game off, it would be, and, and I'm sure every UCLA fan would think the turning point in his tenure to end his third, or not end it, but to put the stamp on his third year by winning the rivalry game would be huge. And I thought last week for them was because DTR came back after missing two, played well, felt it, as you said, wasn't as big a factor they still win. And the other thing that and I, it, we have to frame, I'm going to frame my statement again by saying Arizona State hadn't played in three weeks. They'd only played one game. Herm Edwards talked about how the speed of the game was a problem for them because they just, they just haven't played. Having said that, UCLA's defense is still playing well. This is easily the best defense we've seen in the three years of Chip Kelly's era there. So those are the things that give UCLA hope. And I, I I don't know, Yogi, how to judge USC because they were fabulous Sunday night. I mean, the first half of that game was magnificent, but it was very clear Washington State, you know, in, in, in some ways probably shouldn't have played the game. They really weren't there, especially their defensive secondary was shredded. They couldn't any come close to covering Amon USC's credit. They absolutely took advantage. So I'm not sure how to really judge that other than to say USC hasn't lost a game. And that's ultimately, that's ultimately what, what it's about. Yeah, I'm with you on all that. I, I think for this one, for me, Caleb Johnson, Osa Odigizua, they're all conference players this year, what they're doing for the Bruins. Uh, Knight at, at safety, Quatrez Knight is playing at a really high level. I had a chance to talk to um, Quentin Lake earlier this week, playing at a really high level. I think this is going to be a really competitive ball game. I think for UCLA, you've been around Chip as much as anybody. You know the deal with him. And it's amount of reps, amount of plays over time of possession. I think they're going to try to keep the ball as much as they can in this game. And I think they need to, right? I think you'll see them run the football extremely creatively and challenge USC's defense, who their starting middle linebacker week one is no longer on the team. He's in the portal. Their next linebacker up has been banged up. Uh, Talano Hufunga played middle linebacker uh, last week. So I, I, I just think that UCLA has got a sneaky chance in this game based on just personnel that SC has. The issue is that SC's just got firepower that's off the charts, man. Off the charts. And I think they've got a focus about them that is unique. I think they've been impacted by COVID on the offensive line. So, yes, they didn't run for an amount of yards that is, uh, you know, respectable or the standard there with what they did last week. But I think it's fair to say, like, their entire offensive line was ravaged all week long. There was a great article in the LA Times earlier this week about that. So I, I think that they'll bounce back in this game, and, and I look forward to, to seeing how that shakes out. Yeah. And we got two games packed over after dark, Ted. Uh, Cal, Washington State, Stanford, Oregon State. Uh, these two games have a lot of intrigue to me. Uh, I'll, I'll start with Cal Wazoo. Uh, for Cal, you know, they're finally gaining some confidence, right? They get that 
win um, in, a, in an impressive way, obviously against the Ducks. Not a lot of people gave them a chance in that, in that game. The way they ran the football, the style of offense, you know, how they were aggressive defensively, how they ran the football. Uh, and then Washington State, this is dramatic bounce back opportunity for them. As you referenced earlier, man, they were just challenged in the SC game. Their back end completely out. You know, they're probably fortunate they even played it. And Jane Delora had the worst game of his entire football career, statistically. So I, I look forward to this. I think Cal comes out victorious. I think they're trending up where Wazoo's try to hang on right now. Uh, but what, what do you think happens in Pullman Saturday night? Well, two things. One is I, I was very impressed with Cal winning that game against Oregon. Obviously, you know, two ones. One is their defense played really well. Justin Wilcox has had a way when Cal's played Oregon. Justin Wilcox has had a way to get a defense and Tim DeRuiter going. They stopped a pretty good offense in Oregon. And then Bill Musgrave, the new OC, had his moment. What a great play design for the winning, what wound up being the winning touchdown play. Nico Remigio, who we saw, we've seen make big catches with Chase Garbers, but what a play design to get Remigio running around, isoed on a linebacker, mismatch, touchdown Cal win. So to me, that was, I smiled because I said, if you're the OC, that's your moment. You're smiling about that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It'll, it'll be fun to watch this one. For Cal, I, I think we should just give him a lot of credit because guys like Cam Bynum, Coin Dang, they all could have opted out. You know, none of them needed to necessarily be there uh, based on COVID. Remember, Cam Bynum opted back in. And then after the craziness of the early part of their season, no one would have batted an eye if he opted out. And he said, no, man, like, I'm going to stick with this. So I think given props to him, he's had an all-conference year as well. And for Rolo, I'll tell you what. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say the other guy, Yogi, on the Cal side, we haven't talked enough about Cameron Good. Cameron yes. Good is he's playing big time ball. He's having a really good year for Cal. Agreed. And and I think for Rolo, you know, I'm prepping again for signing day. We'll be on XM and uh, Pac-12 Networks on Wednesday of next week. They's done, he's done a nice job recruiting. He's done, like this program is going to get built in the way that Coug fans hope it to be built. So, so looking forward to them in the years to come. And then the nightcap, Ted, uh, I, I think Stanford's real. I think that their offensive line is real. Uh, I think that Davis Mills played the best game of his career last week. Some of those throws he made were just special. Specifically, look at the when you, you, it's usually called four-minute offense. It's called like the seven-minute and forty-seven-minute offense, right? Forty-seven-second offense because that's what they did at the end of the game to run off the end of the clock. And they're going up against the Oregon State team that has improved defensively. Tristan Jabia clearly going to be out uh, of this ball game. Jamar Jefferson, to my knowledge, is TBD as of today when we are recording this. Uh, of course, I think that is a that is a huge part of, of Oregon State's offensive success. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at this from the Oregon State side. I don't know how Jonathan Smith does it. I mean, look at who they played. I mean, who was playing for Oregon State last week? Quarterback in his first start. Down a couple of running backs. You know, we know they'd already lost Isaiah Hodgins. Their best receiver didn't come back this year. Tongi, the tight end, didn't come back. And Chance Nolan doesn't have a very good first half last week but then he gets his feet under him in the second half and dang, if they don't have a shot late in the game, you go, where is this coming from? So I, I, you know, I just give great credit for Jonathan Smith because he has found a way, and, you know, it's what you talk about, you know, maybe it goes back to what we touched on in the, uh, in the, in the Kevin Sumlin conversation, whereas you want to have hope. And to me, Oregon state hasn't won enough games yet. They know that, but the way they're playing gives them hope. And, and that's the nice part for Jonathan Smith. So if they could come out, I mean, a shot at a winning record this year for the Beavers, and that would be terrific. And you know, if they could, if they could get this game 
of course, a big step that way. And then to me, you cannot say enough admiration for David Shaw and the leadership of Stanford football to go through what they are right now, you know, being displaced for 10 days minimum, and then not knowing where they're going after Corvallis Saturday night and to go into Washington to play the way. I mean, it's the ultimate, David Shaw is the ultimate no excuse guy, ultimate no excuse guy. Yeah, I think, and I just got a text, Jamar Jefferson returned to practice today and has cleared to play. So oh, breaking good, news as good. we're on the pod. To me, I, I am so with you. Like we're watching that game Saturday night last week against Utah, and I'm like, it's a route. 31, I think it was 31-10. And this team could have laid down. In years, I mean, how many Oregon State games have we called, right, over the years? You know, they just wouldn't have came back from it. It's just been too far. And they just believed. Like to me, it said that, Everything Jonathan Smith and his staff are preaching. And, oh, by the way, staff continuity is a big deal for the Beavs, right? They're not losing coaches every year like a lot of programs around the country. This is a confident squad. And if you look at the, the standings, right, there's a world where Oregon State, the winner of, uh, uh, of this game, has a chance to be second in the Pac-12 North. Think about that for a second, right? Legitimately second in the Pac-12. Let's just pretend all the games happen and Oregon or UW wins. Oregon State owns the tiebreaker. Are they going to be second in the Pac-12 North? Think about that. I mean, yep. I, I just think that you're right. The way they've done it, and they'll do it again. I think they're only going to sign nine players in this year's class. They've got more scholarship availables, availability, but they're going to work the portal, right? Common things and uncommon ways. That's Jonathan Smith's mantra. That's that program. And they, they have to be celebrated. And Carl Durrell will probably, you know, to me, he's earned coach of the year. Uh, but Jonathan Smith is not far behind. David Shaw is not far behind based on everything they've had to deal with that you referenced. And I just think we're, we're in for a treat in the late games. Like truly, even though they might not have a huge national audience implication wise around the title game and the CFP, uh, they're really fun games to watch with four teams that have been through a hell of a lot this season. All right. So Yogi, let's finish off by talking here. Uh, what do you know? What's going to happen for the 19th? Sorry, we have games. We have the full slate of games Friday, Saturday, this weekend. But then we know we know there's going to be a championship game, but everybody's supposed to play a game on the 19th. Yeah, this one's going to be interesting. So this, I think, uh, is being discussed uh, by the powers that be every school. And it'll be interesting to see what ends up coming out, like wh where the matchups are, what the matchups are, right? Obviously, one versus one is what we assume it to be, right? But based on games being canceled, we set off the top, it can all of a sudden become one versus 12 really quick. And then you, you don't want to, at least heading into the season, the conference did not want to have rematches. And there was a priority in rivalry games. So the Apple Cup will be the only rivalry game not played. Stanford cannot play at home, right? They may be a two seed in the North or a three seed in the North. Fundamentally, they would host a game. They can't do it. So I think when we look at what will be on paper later on this week, which will be the strat or the um, – the organization around, is it 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, or is it three versus uh, six, four versus five? Like, I, I think all that dialogue will eventually be happening. Whatever is laid out, I don't think it's going to mirror that on the schedule. Like, there's a world where I would anticipate Stanford, UCLA, right? UCLA is going to be three in the South, no matter what. They haven't played each other. The California thing is what you know, we've yeah. come accustomed to. Like, I think those are the elements where I think fans will say, well, my team was ranked this. They didn't play the team that was ranked that. But then when you really dive into the schedule, um, it's just not going to be a perfect scenario in that regard. The, the tough part is, and, and this is a 2020 thing, is that nobody's going to know where they're playing. Uh, you know, hopefully Saturday night you figure it out, but it could change again midweek. 
right? It could change around the two teams that, or the four, the four best teams, 1v1, 2v2, well, based on COVID. And here, yeah, and here's Yogi. Here's another element that I think you know fans can often think about. It. Look, it's, it's happening in our television business. We know is that because of COVID, you really have to have a bullpen. And so you talked about the CFP. CFP is going to have to have a bullpen for the championship game. Right, given everything we're starting to experience, what all of the medical people are saying will happen throughout December and through the holidays. Uh, and so now the conference championship games will sort of be the first test of that, right? Where if you only get two teams on site and in the morning of the game, something doesn't go right, you're going to have to have a bullpen. I would think you have to have a bullpen team there, don't you? Yeah. And, the, and remember, the champ game is on a Friday. So let's just yeah. say you're the bullpen team. Right. Let's just let's just pretend like the world's perfect. And let's just say UW is playing USC and USC comes down with COVID on a Friday. Well, as of today. Right. And this may change. Let's just say Colorado is hosting uh, Stanford. Right. Based on two V two. Well, they've already played each other. So that probably game doesn't even happen. Right. So it's somebody else against Colorado. And one of those teams, regardless of who it is, they're preparing on a Saturday. So now you're asking them to go play somebody on a Friday with the one last day. It's not like it's reverse. It's not like everybody plays two through, uh, or, or I guess it'd be like the third seed through the 12th seed. They all play on Friday. I think if we could rework 2020, it'd be like that. Then you gain the extra day to travel, to prepare. But um, I do think talking to a lot of coaches, they've all just kind of accepted that it's crazy. And, you know, Chip had what, 43 hours to prepare for a game. Um, the UCLA, the Cal game early on. Um, so I don't know, man. I, I kind of anticipate a little bit of chaos, you know, kind of like what we saw this morning, which was UW. Yeah. You know, yes. didn't, didn't see that one coming. And that's what I'm thinking. That's, but that's an element that I'm sure the conferences are all, and, and the CFP people for their ultimate championship game are going to have to take that into account when you have just so much planning and bluntly so much revenue on the line. It's going to be at some point, kind of like going to a Broadway show. Anybody that's been fortunate enough to go to Broadway shows and every so often you go to a show and as you walk in, they hand you a playbill and there's a little white slip of paper that says the role of Yogi Roth tonight will be played by so Larry Fitzgerald. <laughs> and you just have to live with it. You came to see Yogi. You thought you are going to see Yogi. You're just going to have to suffer through with Fitz. Okay, we get that. That may be, I mean, and I'm, but I'm, I'm being serious that that may be you're what right. happens craziness and trust me i'm living through it in basketball right now it is it's 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 beyond insane what's happening in college basketball right now because of covid and i've joked i i've well i'm only semi-joking i've said this on pac-12 network and it's a basketball games somebody in our conference who's smart is going to start an app called hoops tinder and hey you need a game you need a game because somebody your opponent tested positive for thursday go on swipe this way if you want a mid-major swipe this way if you want a top tier team and you'll match. You'll find. Yeah, I'm looking for somebody who's like a you know, mid 100 level school. Blah blah blah. That's what you know. This because the championship games again are vital for revenue that is yeah. used for the schools for a lot of we assume a lot of positive things, jobs, sports opportunities uh, that they're going to have to plan for this in case somebody, as we've seen in basketball, the morning of game tests and says, "Ah, sorry, we can't play." Yeah. So interesting. Um, all right, I want to leave you with one thought uh, as we head into next week. For me, as I've gone back and looked at every week, there's a different team that I would say has played the best, right? It was 
UW after their second game of the season, right? It was probably USC um, maybe last weekend. You could argue Stanford or Cal last weekend. It's never been the same team two weeks in a row for me. I'm so curious what you say next week, who you think the best team is playing at the time. Because I don't know if it's going to be USC and UW or Oregon or Colorado or other teams. You know, those are the four teams up for the title right now. I don't know. Uh, and I just think it's going to be really interesting when uh, we talk about that because we've seen the best of teams and the worst of teams, right? UCLA has been down and then dramatically up. And I'm kind of curious what, what you say as we head into the final week of the season of games. Yeah, that will be fun. Fun to see, yo, because, uh, yeah, last week, I don't know. If you ask me that, you know, Colorado and USC both were phenomenal. I'm not sure about their opponents, you know, and so how to gauge that Stanford's overall, I mean, given what Stanford had to deal with during the week to go into Husky stadium and do that. You know, if you asked me my spur of the moment answer would have been Stanford. Me too. Yeah, me too. That's where I would have went. I just think, man, what Davis made himself, if he chooses to, he made himself a lot of money last weekend because that is the film that every GM and coach is going to put on initially. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if he does it again this weekend and the week after that could be uh well, time I'm for with, another quarterback. I'm with you, brother. I hope we have all six games again this weekend. That's just all. I mean, that was the best to me by far. The best news last weekend was that everybody played. I love it. All right. He's Ted Robinson, Milgi Roth. Big thanks to Britton Covey for the editing of this podcast. Uh, if you heard any technical difficulties, of course, it's 2020. We apologize for that. that that's part of it. Ted's calling hoops. My internet's hey, been wonky. By the way, Colorado. Don't kick the ball to Britton Covey. (laughs) Don't do it. You're exactly right. All right. Stay safe. Mask up. Good luck. Hopefully we get six in this weekend. I'm Yogi. He's Ted's 10 Yogi's Pac-12 veteran. The place if you want to nerd out and get real deep on Pac-12 football. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.